I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Mark Twain said, The difference between the almost right word and the right word is really a large matter. It's the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. One important aspect of good writing is finding the right or perfect word to express an idea. Now, I didn't stress out a lot in my, I haven't ever really stressed out a lot in my writing about finding the exact right word, and that probably explains a lot about some of the sales of my publications. But one word over against another can change the effect the mood, or the image. Word choice makes your writing either powerful or weak. Novelist Marilyn Robinson wrote, quote, You know there's a perfect word, even though you have not written it yet. You cast about for it, and over time, some obscure word will come to you. Your mind knows it's there. Often, it's a word with such an extraordinary precision that you wonder how it survived. I would still in the English language. Other writers have expressed the immense delight of just finding that one right word as they're struggling to write a book or a novel. If writers obsess so much about finding the exact right word, how much more should we believers know the right or fitting way for us to respond to God and his grace? I'll read the passage here this morning, which is verses 3 and 4 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, We ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will abide forever. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word and for its truth. And I thank you for how it instructs us and even gives us in the lives of those who wrote it a model, a model to follow and to spur us to be like these godly men. I thank you for the example of Paul in giving thanks to you. And I pray that we ourselves would learn this lesson and learn it well this morning. I pray that you would help me to be clear as I preach your word and that you give your people attention and that they would hear your word and respond to it with faith. We ask that you would powerfully come to build up and convict and encourage each of us this morning. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul planted the church of Thessalonica in a very short period of time, after he had been there 
for a short window preaching the gospel in the city. The Jews stirred up persecution. And Paul and his co-workers had to get out of town quickly. And he left Thessalonica. An early church, a church that he had planted, and yet had not spent, in his mind, adequate time being there. And that's what we actually read um, in God's providence from 1 Thessalonians chapters 2 and 3 this morning in our scripture reading. We hear in there how Paul writes to the Thessalonians saying, we were worried about your faith. We heard that these persecutions were being ramped up in the city. And we were very concerned about you, that your faith wouldn't hold. When the persecutions came, you might abandon Jesus Christ. And Paul was worried about this, even though he had to leave so shortly. And because he had to have, because he had to leave so shortly. And so, that concern is all throughout 1 Thessalonians, the book of 1 Thessalonians. And, even as he begins these words in 2 Thessalonians, he's referring back to some of those concerns and what God had done through his prayers for them. Look at the way Paul begins verse 3. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. The word ought in the original speaks of an obligation. In our culture, there are still certain things we feel we must do in response to others and to response to certain other acts. It used to be, for example, and it still is to some extent, that if a man and a woman were walking into a building together, the man was obligated to hold the door for the woman. Many of us who are men still feel an obligation to remove our hats when we enter buildings. And we feel an obligation to hold our hands over our hearts at the American flag. We still sense an obligation to write a thank you note when someone gives us a gift. There are these marks in culture where when one thing happens, we feel a moral or social obligation to act in response a certain way. Similarly, Paul says here that he has an obligation. He owes a moral debt to God. And since this obligation is to God, it is of the highest and most sacred order. This is a holy debt. He adds to these this language of obligation that it's right for him to thank God. He says, it, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers, as is right. That is to say, it is fitting or worthy that he gives thanks to God. It is what God deserves. And Paul feels the holy obligation of his thanksgiving to such an extent that he says he ought always to give thanks to God for them. That is to say, the thanksgiving to God 
that he feels burdened to give is perpetual. There's a perpetual sense of obligation to thank God. This isn't a one-time idea that floated across Paul's mind. This is the way he always felt. And this obligation to give thanks to God is connected to why, in verse 4, he boasts about the Thessalonian church. As we will see, Paul did not boast because he had done anything. On the contrary, Paul rejoiced at what God had done in them. His boasting, in verse 4, is a way of giving glory to God. He's boasting in what God has done. Have you ever felt this kind of obligation? I'm talking specifically here about the obligation Paul has to God to give thanks to God. Have you ever felt that kind of obligation? Have you ever felt an obligation in general? Maybe it's your sense of moral responsibility to provide for your family. Maybe you have felt an obligation to say something or do something or to stand for what's right. That Paul says here that he has a holy obligation to God to, in these verses ought to cause us to pause and think for ourselves. Am I under any such obligation? Once we look deeper into these verses, we see that we do indeed stand obliged to thank God just as Paul did. All believers are obligated to thank God. All believers are under this moral obligation. Why? Why do I say that? Well, to answer this, we must answer, why does Paul feel this weight of obligation as he thinks of the Thessalonians? Why does Paul sense a duty to give thanks to God in these verses? Well, the first reason that he feels this moral obligation to give thanks to God is for God's grace in general. I think this is an important first principle, an assumption that Paul lived under. We are always under an obligation to give thanks to God whenever he shows us grace. This is the great assumption behind Paul's thanksgiving. Recipients of God's grace are under a moral obligation to give thanks. The scriptures teach that God's people are thankful people. The Psalms bear this out again and again. The spirit of thanksgiving shines in Psalm 75.1. We give thanks to you, O God, the psalmist says. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. You hear the spirit of thanksgiving there? God has been near to him with his grace He has seen these wondrous deeds. So the psalmist says, we give thanks to you. He says it twice. Psalm 100. We read Psalm 100 together. One of my favorite psalms. It's called a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a psalm for giving thanks. And we're told in that psalm, enter 
We're commanded in that psalm, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Or Psalm 92, verse 1. Psalm 92 says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. He continues a few verses later, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. It is good to give thanks to you for your name, for your works, the psalmist says in Psalm 92. And this is what people who have experienced God's grace firsthand do. They direct thanks to God. Paul says he feels his thanksgiving to be something that is right or fitting. It's right, he says, for me to do this. The Bible makes similar statements like that elsewhere. Psalm 147, excuse me, 147.1 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant And a song of praise is fitting. So the psalmist is piling up words, like the word right here by Paul. He's piling up words to give us this sense of how appropriate it is. It is good. It is pleasant. It is fitting to praise God in Psalm 147.1. Or Psalm Psalm 33.1 says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous And then he says, praise befits, befits the righteous, the upright. So for those people, the psalmist is saying, whom God has made upright, it befits them. It is fitting for them to praise God. There is a sense of fittingness or appropriateness to a redeemed saint who knows the grace of God, giving praise to God for that grace. Remember that, according to Romans 1, a lack of gratitude is one of the fundamental symptoms of unbelievers. It is where unbelief begins. The sins that pour out at the end of Romans 1 begin with a lack of thankfulness. It is our duty to thank God. Yet thanksgiving is as much our delight and joyful response to God's grace as it is our duty. It's both a duty and a delight. Thanksgiving is our obligated response to God and His grace. Especially His grace. Grace is a gift. When your friends and relatives give you a gift, you say thank you. You might write a thank you note. How much more with our God, the giver of all good gifts and the mercy that he has shown us in Christ, ought we to thank God. And by thanking God for his grace, we give him glory. We acknowledge when we thank God for his grace That despite our sinfulness and unworthiness, God has blessed us with innumerable gifts. We are worms, sinful rebels, 
And yet look at what God has done for us. He has blessed us with his grace. God bestows us with unmerited favor to bring glory to his great name. He delights in showing the worthless and helpless, showing worthless and helpless sinners his abundant mercy and grace so that we might, uh, we might stand in awe at his glory and praise him and thank him. He delights in this. He delights in showing grace to the most unworthy sinners like us. And we should give glory to God for his common grace to us, the gifts of family and life and health and friends and food and clothing and comforts and enjoyments. And we should even more give glory to God for his saving grace to us in Jesus Christ where we have been justified, sanctified, adopted, and have the sure promise of eternal life through the gospel. We ought to be people where it's easy for us to give thanks to God because we know all that he's given us. And conversely, we ought to be ashamed that we are ungrateful so often. We ought to be ashamed that we do not thank God more, that we don't have a sense of obligation in giving God thanks. We should so be overflowing with praise to God that we are ever looking for evidences of his grace all around us. Instead, when one little thing goes wrong, we too easily find ourselves complaining at our circumstances, even at the smallest of things, despite the mountain of evidence of God's grace to us. The first reason we are obligated to thank God is for his grace to us in general. But there's a second reason that Paul gave thanks to God. He gave thanks to God for his spiritual work in believers. Paul is obligated to thank God because of God's spiritual work in believers. And this is the second reason we too are obligated to thank God Paul says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Paul thanks God specifically here for the Thessalonians' faith in Christ and their love for each other. Now again, it's important that we get inside Paul's logic here, if I can use that expression. Why does he thank God for these gifts? For these things? Paul thanks God for these gifts because God was the one who had given the Thessalonians this faith and love. It was that they were gifts of God. Faith and love are God's gifts. They come from God's grace to us sinners. The believer's faith is a grace of God. I'm going to call it a grace of God because it's a gift. Our faith is our whole soul's knowledge 
assent and trust in Jesus Christ as offered to us in the gospel. That he died for our sins and that he rose again. And that we have eternal life when we put our trust in him, confessing him as Lord. And our faith is what God has worked in us. God works faith powerfully in us through his spirit. He births faith and sustains our faith through his word. Their faith is God's gift. And the believer's love is a grace of God. The love we have for each other comes from God himself. He gifts it to us, not based on any merits or deserts or natural abilities in us that we have in ourselves, but freely of his grace. This is why the believer's love for others is so Christ-like. It flows from God himself in Christ by the Holy Spirit to us. And so it takes the shape of the giver of that gift. And since faith and love are graces of God, Paul thanks God for the evident marks of faith and love in the lives of the Thessalonians. Now, thanking God for faith and love for such graces like these is not unique to, to Second Thessalonians, of course. Romans 1.8 Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. I'm giving you other places where Paul does this. Just so you know, this is not a one-off. This is a pattern. It must be important. Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. Paul writes to the Ephesians, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Have I convinced you yet? How about another one? Colossians 1, 3 and 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Paul was always thanking God for what he was doing in the lives of other believers. He's doing this all the time. With the Thessalonians, Paul was especially thankful because their faith and love, he says, were increasing by the grace of God. He says he's thankful because their faith is growing abundantly and their love is increasing. Their faith and love were not static and unchanged. They were increasing. They were growing abundantly. This too was God's work. It is not only the grace of God that gives us faith and love at the beginning of our Christian life. You see, It is the grace of God that increases our faith and love throughout our Christian life. He births it, he begets it, and then he grows it. He plants the seed, and then he causes it to grow up. He's involved with the whole process. And this is the way it ought to be. That is, what I mean, is it's God's will that our faith and love and his other graces 
increase and grow in our souls. When Paul thanks God for his grace increasing the inner spiritual life of the Thessalonians, he is teaching us that faith and love change. They are capable of change in the soul of a man or a woman. It is possible for them to increase. And it's possible for them to decrease. And it's desirable. It is God's will that our faith be stronger today than when we first believed. Our love for our fellow believers should be should have been increasing over the years we have known Christ. Now think about what it means for Paul to say this. This requires, for Paul to say this, it requires of him a special outlook. Paul had spiritual eyes, if I can put it that way, to notice God's grace in the lives of other believers. And for him, it was an unmistakable pointer to God. So much so that he felt compelled to thank God. Indeed, as we have already noted, he says he was obligated to thank God for these realities. He said that thanking God was fitting Remember, this same Paul elsewhere told churches, do all things without grumbling or disputing. When you're thanking God for his grace and other believers, it's harder to grumble about them. Because you see what God is doing. And you see these people around you as trophies of his grace. Paul cultivated the practice of noticing the unseen fingerprints of God on the souls of others. And when he saw other believers, more often than not, he saw ground for thanksgiving. Indeed, he felt a sense of obligation to draw near to God in prayer, to get down on his knees with an explicit word of praise to God for what he had done in them by his grace. Now certainly, Paul could also, in his letters, address shortcomings in the churches. He was not blind to sin. Yet it is striking how these simple, often infant believers could so warmly move him to thank God in prayer. Most of these saints in these churches were extraordinarily different from Paul. He was a Jew. These churches are filled with Gentiles. His background was from the Pharisees. Their background was paganism. Seeing God's grace in them, he abounded in genuine gratitude to God, however. Even in our text, he tenderly calls these former pagans brothers. Perhaps the most striking example of Paul's habit of thanking God for other believers can be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 7 where Paul says this to the, to the Corinthians. Now, I'll remind you, you've listened to a lot of sermons from Corinthians and you know there were problems in this church, but this is what Paul says. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. 
That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful words. And if we were cynical, we might think he was being sarcastic. But he's not. This comes from the heart. Because he saw God's grace in their lives. Even in Corinth, Paul could find ample reason to thank God for his grace. Dear brothers and sisters, be like Paul. Be the kind of people who see and thank God for what he is doing in each other. A church should be a place where believers see the grace of God in their fellow members. This grace shouldn't be hard to see. We should be like Paul, who saw God's grace in others, and to such a degree that he felt an obligation to thank God for it. It is obvious in Paul's words that these believers were showing these, that when these believers showed these graces that he saw, this, this increasing faith, this increasing love, it's obvious from his words that this brought Paul joy. He's happy about this. He was genuinely happy when he saw what God was doing in them. Paul says that to know them and their faith and their love is a blessing of God that brings him immense satisfaction. John Calvin comments, quote, the well-being of our brethren ought to be such concern to us that we reckon among our chief our own blessings, any blessing that has been bestowed on them. Indeed, if we consider the nature and holiness of the unity of Christ's body, there will be such a sharing in common amongst us that we shall consider the benefits enjoyed by every member to be to the advantage of the whole church. Every member of Christ's body, brothers and sisters, brings the strengths of Christ's grace to a church. Every member is a gift of God to be thankful for. And Paul is so grateful for them, he boasts about them in this passage. Again, this is not because of who they are. He says in verse 4, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God, for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. That boasting he's talking about is in God. He's boasting in what God has done. Think of Romans 15, where Paul says in verses 17 and 18, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So when Paul boasts, he's boasting not in what he's doing, but in what Christ is doing graciously through him, that he's even had a a play in this, a part in this. He does not boast in what he has done here in 2 Thessalonians or in Romans 15. He boasts in what Christ has done through him as his instrument. What is he boasting in in 2 Thessalonians 1, 4? Again, it's the grace of God in them. Their steadfastness to Christ and their faith, even amidst persecutions. Faith. And he connects that boasting with the word therefore to verse 3. He ties the steadfastness and the faith to the faith and love God had worked in them 
for which he was thankful. How do people keep their faith in Christ when persecutions come? Only when God is the gracious source of their faith. That's what gives them the ability to hold on to Christ by faith. And Paul boasted in what God had done in these people. All over. So why is Paul obligated to thank God? First, for God's grace in general. Second, for God's spiritual work in believers. And lastly, for God's answering prayer. We have considered carefully Paul's thanksgiving to God for his grace in the believers in Thessalonica. It turns out there is even more to this prayer when we consider what Paul wrote to them in 1 Thessalonians. Interestingly, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, shows that 2 Thessalonians 1 was not the first time Paul was thankful for what God had done in this church. Their faith and obedience to the word of God, had spread all over. People all over Macedonia and Achaia had heard about how these folks turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And Paul was thankful for this. But there's something else Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that helps us understand the debt of his gratitude in 2 Thessalonians 1. I want you to turn just a couple pages back to 1 Thessalonians 3. 2 1 Thessalonians 3, I want you to look at verse 8. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. Now listen, as we pray, most earnestly, night and day, that we may see your face face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Now pay attention. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. And for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You see, the the reason, or one of the reasons, Paul was thankful to God in 2 Thessalonians 1 for the graces of faith and love in these saints was that he had prayed to God that he would graciously increase their faith and love. He had actually prayed for that in 1 Thessalonians 3. And he wanted it to be done through the word of God, through the ministry of the word, preferably through his own ministry to them, if God would open up a pathway to them. But his prayer for them was that their faith and love would increase. He had prayed, and not just prayed, but prayed, he says, most earnestly. And not just prayed once or twice, but night and day for them. Because he knew the persecutions were so hot in Thessalonica. And he knew the dangers of them being tempted to abandon Christ. Was so likely, given the persecutions. 
And he had not just prayed once or twice, but night and day, all with the desire that he might minister to them even more the word of God, and that God would thus, through the word, increase their faith and love through his preaching. But the important point I want you to see is that the graces for which he prayed in 1 Thessalonians are the very graces he gives thanks to God for in 2 Thessalonians. And this is one of the reasons also that he was under such a moral obligation to thank God. God had graciously answered his prayers. It was all of God. He had seen them brought through. He had seen their faith increase. He had seen their love increase. The reports he was getting back to himself from Thessalonica about this little church was so good, he had to thank God. And he had seen his prayers answered in real time. He gave all the glory to God because God was the one who did it. We are always obligated to give thanks to God when we, when he hears or answers our prayers. And whenever God hears us pray, it's fitting that we respond with praise. And that's what Paul is doing. He has, he has seen answered prayer and so he thanks his God. But you can learn from this, beloved, the importance of praying for God's work in each other, for his gracious work in one another. And by his own example, Paul teaches us to pray to God that he would graciously increase spiritual graces in each other's lives. This does not necessitate a spirit of criticism, but a reality. This is simply a reality that we all need God's grace, building us up ever in faith, hope, love, obedience, and so on. You should even pray this for yourself. Think of the way Jesus spoke to the disciples in Luke 17.5. Or we should come to Jesus, I should say, in the way the disciples did in Luke 17.5, where the disciples prayed, Lord, increase our faith. We can pray like the father of the demon-possessed boy in Mark 9.24. I believe, help thou my unbelief. We ought to pray for this. We ought to pray it for ourselves. We ought to pray for God's increased grace for each other. There are three reasons Paul was obligated to thank God. First, because of God's grace in general. Second, because of God's spiritual work in believers. And third, because of God's answering prayers. And I can, in sincerity, echo Paul's words for you. I, too, thank God for you. I see in you a robust faith in God. I thank God that your faith has increased over my years here, even in times where it felt very dark and the circumstances very grim. I saw God do amazing things. It has been a wonder as your pastor to have a front row seat to God's grace in you. You have battled tribulation and difficulty, health problems, family problems, and yet your faith has not wavered. Indeed, it has increased, and so with your love. I have seen love in this assembly for one another. I've seen it in remarkable ways. And besides these, I have seen other graces of God in you, I thank God for your faithfulness in church attendance. I thank God 
for your willingness to give of your wealth and earthly treasure to this church and its ministry. I thank God for how you followed through on your commitment all the way back when I, before I first came here to bring me to a full-time salary as your pastor. This is God's grace in you. I'm thankful for how God has given so many healthy marriages in this church. I give God thanks for that. I thank God for how each family strives to rear their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I thank God for how many of you children obey your parents and and remain committed to this church into adulthood and have believed the gospel because God has worked in you these graces. I thank God for that. I'm thankful for your industry and your work ethic, which is testified in this community. I'm thankful for you are known in this town as good people who want to do what's right and stand for that. I've seen firsthand your love for God swell each Lord's Day as we sang and praised together. I'm thankful to God for how you stick around for a long block of fellowship and teaching every Lord's Day. I thank God for your great desire to be holy and to grow in holiness and godliness. I thank God for your spiritual joy in your Savior. I'm thankful for what concern each one of you has for the health of the body. I am thankful to God that you love the truth of Jesus Christ in an age of darkness. I'm thankful for how you've worked for this church on work days or in your various offices within the body or even voluntarily in a need that you noticed. I'm thankful for the leaders that are in this church the people who hold offices and try to be faithful in serving the Lord faithfully in those offices. Some of you are no longer in those offices, but when you were in them, you strove to be faithful and you wanted to work hard and you wanted to be do the best job you could for the sake of the body. I thank God for your attendance to longer than average sermons where God's word is preached. I thank God for your attendance. I thank him for how you are mature enough to enjoy substantive, orderly worship services. God has graciously worked in you a love also for the souls of unbelievers around you. I see it. This is God working in you. Thanks be to God, you genuinely want to see others come to Christ. Can I echo Paul's prayer of thanksgiving? Yes, I can. And I have And yet it is important to realize that you realize I am not praising you. You can and should take these words of commendation as an encouragement to you to continue in these things. But don't be mistaken. I am giving glory to God alone. And I give thanks to our God for his grace to you and pray that it would still increase and abound. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, are we obligated to give you thanks? Indeed we are. For here we see scattered around this place in heaps and piles the testimonies of your grace in Jesus Christ. 
happened. I praise you, Father, for what you've done and for who you are. And it is right for us when we see you at work to pause and to give you praise and glory. And Father, I ask that in this hour you would teach us the obligation of gratitude and how it is right and fitting. And use this message again in just a small way as you have so many of the messages that I've ministered here over the course of my my time. Use it again to build these people up in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And Lord, I praise you, Father, for how you've done so much in them and through them. I praise you, Father, for your grace to First Baptist Church of Granite Falls and that I got to see it as their pastor. And I pray now that you would continue to increase and bless and cause your grace to abound here for the sake of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his blessed name. Amen.